Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bonjour, bienvenue la série de sermons de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing, helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Please check it out. God bless you and take care. As Pastor Linda said, today is Epiphany Sunday. And um, uh, John talks a lot about, in his Gospels, it's often, often he does not re refer to miracles as miracles. He refers to them as signs, as small epiphanies that, that point to just who the true identity of Jesus was. And we have that today in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs, the little epiphanies he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, and Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all eaten enough, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign, the epiphany Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Matthew, Mark, and Luke what's otherwise known as the Synaptic Gospels, focus on Jesus' ministry in Galilee and the two years he really concentrated on Galilee. But John doesn't. John only mentions two miracles or two stories from Galilee. And one is the feeding of the 5,000, and the other is Jesus walking on the water immediately after he fed the 5,000. So obviously, John went out of character here because he thought these two stories were really important. Great multitudes followed Jesus at this time. At this time, he was probably at the height of his popularity with the masses, and we know why. It tells us that they were seeing things 
they had never seen before. The masses were captivated and drawn to the miracle-working power flowing through a human being in unprecedented ways. When John tells us that at least 5,000 men were following Jesus, it's understood that those numbers did not include men or women. I mean, women and children. The crowd probably numbered that day between 10 and 20,000. Many, no doubt, were on their way to celebrate the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem, but were detoured by the excitement surrounding Jesus. Back in those days, they estimated that the entire population of Galilee was approximately 40,000 people. It's very possible that 10 to 20,000 of those people were in the crowd with Jesus that day. Approximately a quarter to a half of that entire region gathered around him. Jesus tried to withdraw from the crowd. Jesus often did this. This was nothing new. He was still a human being who needed rest. He still needed, after he had given out, as he called it, virtue, he needed to recharge. He needed to spend time with his Father. He needed to spend time in worship alone and connect to his spiritual resources. And, of course, there was a time that any rabbi needed to spend alone and debrief with his disciples. But it says here the multitudes would not give up. As Jesus boarded a boat, with his disciples to sail approximately four miles to the mountain, which really for us it's just a hill, which is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It said the crowds ran approximately eight miles along the shoreline through rough country, trying to keep the boat in view in order to intercept where it landed. Imagine it. Can you imagine a crowd of ten to 20,000 people running in mass along a shoreline for eight miles just to keep up with Jesus? Jesus saw the determination of the crowd. He knew many would ordinarily be in Jerusalem by now for the feast of the Passover. So Jesus decides to throw his own Passover feast right there in the wilderness with all these people. Jesus saw their hunger both spiritually and, and physically. They needed to be fed. So Jesus asked Philip, where's the nearest giant grocery store or Panera Bread? Jesus wanted Philip to size up the situation analytically. Jesus' question was clearly designed to confront Philip and the other disciples with a problem that had no human solution. There's not enough money to feed the crowd, said Philip. In fact, all of us working together, we, we could work and, and for half a year and it still wouldn't be enough money to feed this crowd. And besides that, there's no places to buy food even if we had the money. This was a predicament with no visible solution. It was the Kobayashi Maru of the apostles. How many of you know what the Kobayashi Maru of the... Okay, how many of you don't know what that means? This is a failure of the public education system. Let me describe this. The Kobayashi Maru was a design test for Starfleet Academy people that had a no... It was a no-win situation to see how people would react to a no-win situation. Thus, the Kobayashi Maru, you are welcome. <laughs> so Philip tells Jesus, we got nothing. And then Jesus' finance committee also says, forget it. It's not in the budget. Andrew at least looks for some resources. Maybe some folks with, of means or maybe some smart folks have prepared for this. But all he finds is a little boy who has two fish probably the size of sardines and salted and pickled to preserve them, and five small barley loaves. And Andrew observes, this is not nearly enough food to feed all these people. 
Sometimes there are miracles before there are miracles. And the first miracle that day was this. Andrew got a small boy to give up his happy meal out there in the middle of nowhere. When my kids were three or five or seven, asking them to share their happy meals was dead on arrival. After Dada and Mama and No, a child's next word is mine, mine. I remember when I was a small child and I, I, my aunt was babysitting me and another little boy who I'd never met before. And I had, my favorite toy was a, a, this little toy engine. And he asked to play with it. I loaned it to him. And then at the end, when this guy was about time to go, I said, I want my engine back. And this kid started crying and lying, going, it's my engine, it's my engine. And my aunt believed him and gave him my favorite toy. <laughs> Excuse me for a moment. You always surprise me. You always. <laughs> to this day, I still remember that engine because it was mine, dadgummit. <laughs> you know what I see in that little boy that day on the hill with Jesus? I see a child who was too young to know that his five loaves and two fish didn't matter. He just wanted to help. And so he gave what he had to Jesus that little boy did not let what he didn't have keep him from giving to Jesus what he did have. Do you get the lesson you just heard? God calls people to share what they have, not despair over what they lack. You know, there's a psychology to this. A few years ago, researchers at Carnegie Mellon University devised a study to discover why people respond to the needs of others. Participants were giving in, given an envelope with a charity response letter from Save the Children. The researchers tested two versions of a request letter. The first version featured statistics about the magnitude of the problems facing children in Africa. And the second letter spotlighted the needs of one seven-year-old girl named Rokia. The average, on average, the participants who read the statistical, the overwhelming, uh, you know, difficulty letter, they contributed contributed $1.14 per envelope return. The people who read about Rokia gave $2.38 per envelope return, more than twice as much. The smaller donations in response to the statistical letter were the result of something psychologists call the drop-in-the-bucket effect. If we feel overwhelmed by the size of the problem, we often don't do anything about it because we don't think that our contribution will make a difference. So statistics about massive human suffering in Africa can actually make us less charitable. Our heads get in the way of our hearts. We, go to, we say to ourselves, what is the use? That's exactly what happened to Jesus' disciples that day on the mountain looking at ten or 20,000 people. They took a look at what they had. They look at, took a look at overwhelming statistical need, and they said, what's the use? Andrew said, there are so many. Five loaves and two fishes cannot make a difference. This is statistically overwhelming. Jesus disagreed. You see, Jesus is in the multiplication business. 
He takes what we give him and he multiplies it. And guess what? It turns out five loaves and two fish can feed 10 to 20,000 people in the hands of Jesus Christ. That little boy didn't have much, but what he had he gave and it became the raw material for a miracle the only miracle recorded by all four Gospels, so it obviously made an impression on them all. They said, all of them said, we got to have this in our Gospel. And it started when a little boy said, I'll give you my lunch. Acts of kindness, encouraging words, well-thought-out letters, helping the poor with respect, letting the poor help us with respect, taking time to listen, sharing a happy meal, giving in love in the Spirit of Christ in His hands, in somehow, some way, it gets multiplied. Mark Batterson said that he has a friend named Joel Clark, who is an author and filmmaker. Joel is one of the most compassionate people that Mark knows. Much of his film work has focused on documenting the pain and suffering of those who don't live in the land of opportunity. But Joel was not always that way. For nearly a decade, Joel served on, a sta on staff at a church in South Africa. And during that time, his relationship with God became more professional than personal. That can happen. He was low on money and even lower on morale. His heart was hardening and so was his hearing of the Spirit. But that dramatically changed during a late night McDonald's run. He had 38 rand in his pocket which of Rand, of course, is the currency of South Africa. And it was just enough to indulge himself in a happy meal. Joel was so focused on his own issues that he barely noticed the street kids in the McDonald's parking lot. Then for the first time in a long time, Joel heard that still small voice that he had not heard in so, so long. He heard the spirit whispering to him, by those kids some hamburgers. Joel had a decision to make. Order a Happy Meal for himself or buy cheaper junior cheeseburgers for those street kids. He didn't have enough money to do both. He said, I was filled with bitterness and pettiness. Even though I ordered five junior cheeseburgers for those kids out there, I didn't do it with the right attitude. But despite Joel's doing the right thing with the wrong attitude, guess what? God showed up. When Joel walked out of the McDonald's, the group of kids had more than doubled. There were more than a dozen now. Joel contemplated cutting the burgers into halves or thirds so everyone could have one. But when he started handing out the burgers, they multiplied like the filet of fish that fed 5,000, 2,000 years ago. Did McDonald's give him the wrong order? Did they throw in extras because it was closing time? Here, just take them all. Or did God reach into his bag of tricks and simply pull out some junior cheeseburgers? Joel has no idea to this day. But when he had given a burger to every street kid, he found that, it's, that there was a burger for everyone. There was even a burger for him at the bottom of the bag. Joel calls this his McMoment with God when Jesus broke through in his life. And the lesson was not lost on him. If you give your happy meal to Jesus, it'll go a lot further in his hands than it will in your stomach. Amen? And plus, I'm assuming, you know, 
He said the greatest miracle of all probably took place. He said that, that last burger that was for him, he said after Jesus touched it, it actually tasted good. Hallelujah. I'm not a McDonald's. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm a Burger King guy. Somebody asked me walking out here, they said, are you, are, you, are you Burger King or Wendy's? I said, I'm Burger King. They said, I'm Wendy's. I said, get out. <laughs> Please get this lesson. God cannot multiply what you do not give him. When I went to college, they forced me to take math, take algebra. You know what I discovered? I discovered I'm lousy at math and algebra. <laughs> but I discovered something else, that 10 times zero is zero. In fact, 1,000 times zero is still zero. I learned that before I dropped out. Miracles happen when we obey God in little ways. That little boy simply gave what he had. Begin where you are. Give what you can share. If the church would just do that, it would radically change the world. Again, I, I mentioned this, this study, I think it, some years ago, but, but I think it's still true. Someone did an estimate, and they said if all the people that call themselves Christians in the United States went on welfare... And if every Christian on welfare would tithe, giving would go up in America. What does that tell you? A whole lot of little makes a whole lot of lot with Jesus. That little boy didn't look at the crowd and say, my little loaves and fishes mean nothing. That was said by the older, wiser saints in the crowd. Every fish counts in the kingdom of God. Every loaf of bread counts when God has it in his hands. Because you don't know what raw material God will use and multiply and bless the world with. He can even use McDonald's crappy food, apparently. Don't get discouraged by how little you have to give. Because God values percentages over amounts. Me, I value amounts over percentages. But God is different from me. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, the standard was the tithe, 10%. The tithe, the tithe applied to rich and poor. And God valued the donations equally no matter what the amount. If everybody gave 10%, God valued it as obedience no matter how much. And you want to hear something crazy? The most celebrated act of giving in the entire Bible was the smallest amount ever given in recorded scripture, the widow's might. No doubt that day at the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus saw much larger amounts of money dropped in the coffers, much more than a destitute widow dropped into the offering plate that day. But Jesus was looking at the heart of the giver, and he was looking at the percentages. And no one gave more that day than 100%. You can't give more than everything. And no one trusted God more for their future that day than a widow who clung to God more than she clung to her last two quarters. Give what you can, even if it's two sardines and some bread, because God changes lives with such things, and we will be blessed. And I'm not talking about if you give, God will pad your pockets. God does not bless us in order to raise our standard of living. He blesses us to raise our standard of giving. God blesses us to bless others. 
This name it and claim it stuff has gone worldwide. I remember 10 years ago when I was in India, I was in a hotel, turned on the TV, and there was their version of some Benny Hinn saying, if you give me money, God will make you rich. God is not the big ATM in the sky. He cannot be bought. He cannot be bribed. You cannot use him. We invest in the kingdom of God because God uses what we give him to save the world, not pad our bank accounts. Does God give us more when we are generous? Yes, that's generally how it works. Why? So we can be more generous. But most of the rewards we will get in this world will not be tangible, to be honest, because things like joy and peace have no price tag. Our rewards are in being blessed by watching God bless others, and we get to help. And our real rewards are being held for us in a place we cannot access until we enter eternity. We give now to store up real treasure there. When Jesus receives the fish and the bread, he asks the multitude to sit down. And then it says he gave thanks to his Father for providing the raw material for the miracle to come. The fish and the bread multiply in Jesus' hands as, it, as, it hand, as he hands it out. You know, I, I've always kind of wondered, how did, how did this miracle take place? Did Jesus just pray over the fish and suddenly there's a pile of fish and pray over the loaves and suddenly there's a lot of loaves? That is my watch alarm. I am so sick. Okay, Lord, I'll finish soon. Okay. But apparently the way this miracle worked is he would hold out his hands with the bread and put them in the baskets that, the, they were, that were being distributed to the multitude, and then just more bread would come, and more bread. And the same happened with the fish. He would hold out his hands, and more fish would come out of that. And this crowd of thousands of people got to watch little become much in the hands of Jesus. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking while they're watching this? The disciples saw a disaster that day. They saw a food shortage that day. They saw an angry mob perhaps developing that day. They saw people fainting that day. Jesus saw an opportunity for his Father to reveal his glory. He saw the situation through the eyes of his Father, not the fears of his co-workers. Last week I talked about seeing the world through Christ's eyes. Seeing what God can do where you are in your life situation instead of focusing on the problems and becoming negative. There is a story about Orville Kelly. Orville Kelly used to be a newspaper man from Iowa. And one day, he went to the hospital for an examination. And after the examination was over, he was told he had terminal cancer. Of course, he was stunned by the devastating news, as was his wife, Wanda. And after fur further hospital tests, the doctors told Orville, that he had three, from, three, uh, from six months to three years to live. And they didn't know how to handle it. They didn't tell their children. They had four kids. They didn't tell their children what was going on for weeks. They didn't know how to talk to their friends about it. And what was worse, communication between Wanda and Orville stopped. Wanda wanted to say something loving and positive and hopeful, and Orville wanted to reassure her, but they couldn't find the simple, honest words, so they remained silent. Orville Kelly was put on a program of chemotherapy, and the long drive to and from the hospital was a painful, silent journey. Finally, one day, on the way back from chemotherapy, Orville said to Wanda, 
we've got to talk about this. I'm going to die from cancer, but I'm not dead yet. Let's start enjoying life again, Wanda. Then Orville Kelly suggested that they go home and tell the kids about it, which they did. And then later he said, after we tell the kids and they work through this, we are going to have a big barbecue, invite our friends, and start living again. He said, I don't want to waste any more time the way I've wasted it these last weeks. A short time later, a fresh, new, and exciting idea came to Orville Kelly. And he said this, each day I will accept, not as another day closer to death, but as another day of given life. I accept each day as a gift from God to be appreciated, enjoyed, and lived to its fullest. And he decided to form a new program called MTC, Make Today Count. After all, Orville said, we're all terminal in some sense. He simply knew that his end had been more clearly defined. He chose to see every day as special and a gracious gift from God. And that is precisely what he went on to do. Again, he was a writer. And he has wonderful descriptions of the mighty Mississippi on a misty morning as he was dying. Of his incredible, he gave an incredible word picture of a bluebird sitting on the fence of an Iowa farm. He gave a description of looking down on Boston through scattered clouds as his plane rose up into the sunlight. He gave a tribute to the smile on his wife's beautiful face. Though sentenced to death by terminal illness, Orville Kelly actually became more alive by making each day count. And then one day he took his last breath and real life kicked in. Orville learned to see and experience God's life in the middle of his own dying. He learned to find God's glory in big things and small things every day and express gratitude for it all and share it with others through his writings. Jesus saw 20,000 hungry people and he saw a great opportunity for God to bless the disciples saw limitations and dire circumstances and nothing more. This is one of the secrets of life. Find where Jesus is infiltrating your life and join him. Give him what you have. Let him use it, multiply it, feed others with it. Do not say to yourself, what I have is insignificant. Two fishes and five loaves were insignificant too, and it fed 20,000 people. Do not shortchange Jesus' multiplication ministry. Do not say to yourself, what I have, it doesn't matter. I'm not as smart, or I'm not as eloquent, or I'm not as good a cook, or I'm not as, 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 as expressive, or whatever it is. Because Jesus multiplies the smallest of things for his glory. In such ways, miracles happen. In such ways, the world is changed. The end of this story is somewhat sad to me. The people got all excited when they saw what Jesus had done, when he had fed them. And he fed them good because they said they were, everybody had as much as they wanted to eat out of 10 or 20,000 people from two loaves, from five loaves and two fishes. And so they went, this is the prophet we've heard about. Now, Moses said one day 
there will be a prophet like me who will come and feed you like I fed you now. And at that moment, the people of Israel in that crowd went, this is the guy. This is the guy that, this is what, what Moses talked about. And it says, at that point, they tried to make him king. A king who was going to implement their agenda. A king who would give them what they wanted. What's interesting about this is that they never considered what Jesus' agenda actually was. Instead, they were going to use him to fulfill their desires. What were their desires? Well, free food every day was a good start. But what they really wanted was someone to come and destroy the Romans and drive them. That what they really wanted was a military commander who would come in and clean house. What they really wanted was empire. What they really wanted was for their version of the Messiah to come and they would be the greatest nation on earth over everybody. And Jesus said, that's not what I came for. Once again, Jesus would not be swayed by the crowd. He would not be elected to do their bidding. And when he saw that they were going to force him, he said to his disciples, let's go on up to the mountain. It's time to get out of here now. We are fickle, aren't we? We want what we want so often instead of what Jesus wants. I heard a story about a young man who walked into a card shop looking for an appropriate card for his girlfriend to express his undying love. The sales clerk showed him their best-selling card. It said simply, to the only girl I have ever, ever really loved. The young man said, that's terrific. I'll take six of them. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> the man had trouble with commitment. We all do. Because, you see, we cannot have six ultimate loves in our lives, can we? We were made for only one. Jesus would not be controlled by popularity or the offer of power or by the cheers of the crowd. By the way, behind all of this was Satan. Remember how Satan tempted him in the desert? Now Satan is using the masses. They're saying, take the power. They're saying, assume military might. Jesus would not settle for lesser loves. He lived his life for an audience of one. Jesus came to give us what we needed, not what we wanted. He came to save us, not make us comfortable in our lostness. Jesus lived his life for his Father, and if we obey him, so will we. Because what's true for Jesus is true for us. In the first service, I did something uh, that surprised me because I've, I felt led by the Spirit. And I'm going to expand on it this service. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I think this is what we're going to do. Uh, has somebody blessed you with something small? That they might have thought it was small, but it made a huge difference in your life. Or have you blessed somebody with something small? And you know it made a difference in their life. I'm sure there are illustrations of what I just talked about here this morning. I'm sure there are. We sang, we sang about testimony in our new song today. 
I think it's time to have a little testimony time about when did somebody help you and it wasn't this big grandiose gesture it was just a word it was just an encouragement it was just a card it was just a call it was just somebody listened I know a couple of times I was going to give up the ministry and somebody took me out for a steak dinner and so I I pulled me back from the precipice that's a joke wow wow (laughs) hello hello Okay. (laughs) Okay. So here's what I'd like us to do. The goal of sharing these testimonies is that you did something that Jesus multiplied. Or somebody did something for you that Jesus multiplied. Now, I'd like you to, if you have a, A brief testimony. I want you to raise your hand. Bart and Linda, and I'll take one more, and Sherry. Come on up. Come on up. Yeah, use that. Uh, my senior year of college, I had a, a good friend of mine um, was killed in a car accident, and I was deeply hurting. And um, I had a paper due and all sorts of things, and I went and talked to my English professor who the paper was for. Her name was Betsy Morgan. And um, as I shared with her my pain, um, she did uh, uh, something that ministered to me Um, in the depths of my being and stayed with me all these years later. Uh, It was quite a few years ago. Um, She listened, and she didn't say a word. Just her lip quivered with my pain, and it ministered to me really deeply and multiplied love in my life. Amen. And I've heard that story. Again, think about that. Just listening and a quivering lip has touched someone for a lifetime. Sherry, you want to come and share? So um, when I first came to Pennsylvania, it was kind of an odd way to um, land here. And when I first came, there was somebody in our congregation, Miss Charlotte, um, who came and picked me up and provided rides for me to be able to come to church and to learn um, the word and to meet people and to understand, you know, what the gift of having fellowship was about. And um, those rides were so important to me because I couldn't walk at the time. I physically had to have um, spinal surgeries, etc. And since then, and within that relationship, um, I was able to, um, Charlotte ended up purchasing a vehicle for her granddaughter, which is a stick shift, and she couldn't manage the stick shift. And ultimately, I was able to save the money, and I purchased that car with extremely low mileage, um, like 30,000 miles on it, as if it were a brand new car for me. And um, through that relationship, she worked with me to pay that car off, and I paid that car off in full, and I was able to get that car. And now with that car, I use that car to help others to bring them to church and to take them to doctor's appointments and to... Um, go grocery shopping with them if they should need it. So 
Although at the time I never thought a ride would be so important, the consistency and the diligence in her effort to make sure that I got to church turned out to be a means for me to be able to show my diligence and my heart to somebody else. Amen. Amen. That, uh, that sounds like multiplication to me. God is using me and my friend uh, in a very special way. In other words, when he speaks uh, and asks us to do stuff and I do it, God blesses me. Um, when he preaches, God gives me a song. So on my third uh, diagnosis of cancer, which was the worst diagnosis of cancer, stage four, um, I wasn't worried. I, God gave me peace, and I'm good, but he was. <laughs> And went to the, ho to the doctor's office with me. He asked questions I never even thought of answering. He got me a lot of help. He got me a lot of understanding. And through him, a way was made because he inquired, because he asked questions, because he was there. Something that would cost, what, $13,000 a year. $180,000 a year. I told my mother I'm going to die. <laughs> I don't make that. In 10 years, I don't, in tw anyway. Um, but because he inquired, because he asked, because he prodded, because he cared, because he was there, I don't pay anything for it, mm. which is another miracle on top of a miracle on top of th at least three miracles because I'm still here. <laughs> and I'm not in pain, and I'm really not worried about it. And I thank God for my friend, which is him. <laughs> and I thank God for y'all. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll take one more. I'll take one more. Come on up, Lynn. I saw a hand back there. You can come on up too. It's. I said if he if he takes. I, th I thought like I, I have something I want to say, but if he doesn't ask for any more, I'll just keep it inside. Well, God's will be. A lot done. of you know Ethel Bigham. <laughs> Who's a wonderful saint of God who was in the church. And when I was first at the church, I used to um, do the <clears throat> nursery or whatever. The nursery in the back of that church was the only air-conditioned room in the building. <laughs> That's not why I did it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's important to the story. So, um, so I was, um, you know, supposed to be in there doing it. But for some reason, whatever reason, I was standing there with the door open, and it was really hot, letting all the cold air out like a dork. Um, and so Ethel comes by and she's like, can, can you shut the door, you know? She wasn't mean about it or anything, but, you know, she, I, don't, I guess she was mildly annoyed with me. Um, and she you was got off easy. She Go was 100% right, yeah. And so, and then she came back later and she said, you know, I'm really sorry that, the, you know, that I spoke to you with any irritation. And that touched me so much. Here she is, this saint of the church, and here I am, this young person who's just come into the church, and it was just like, this is what a woman of God does, is mm -hmm. that sensitive to the, like the Holy Spirit talking to her and telling her, you know, hey, you did something you should apologize for. Praise so, the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Michael. I don't know if I can get through this. <laughs> Eight years ago, I uh, was battling cancer for the first time, and uh, 
got the surgery and I was laid up for five weeks. And uh, during that time, I got emails and I got cards. I had come people visit. And you know, one of those by themselves didn't seem like something. And then the Lord prompted me to remember what he was doing. And I, my, I took over the wall in our kitchen, and I, I marked on paper, those little sticker things, mm-hmm. of uh, every person that sent me a card, every person I knew that was praying for me. And that wall was covered, and you know, like God's hand, look at, look at, I do care about you. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting a card from Pat that used to come here, who I didn't know, and it just overwhelmed me, like, this woman doesn't even know me, and she took the time to send a card. And so this wall, with some of your names on it, covered in our kitchen, and I had it up there for a long time, until my wife said, it's time to like, get <laughs> clean up, but in the middle of that, I put wall of honor, Mm-hmm. that uh, this whole idea that we are just part of the, what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. And when he showed me the bigger picture, it just blew me away. Mm-hmm. So just thank you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Multiplication. And what that small thing you may do may be multiplied in and of itself like loaves and fishes, or it may be a part of a whole if God getting hundreds of people to, to give, do a small thing, and it turns out to be a big thing. God multiplies. Amen? One more? Pastor Cedric, come on up here. As Pastor Woody was talking, I was kind of thinking about this story, but a couple of you know that um, I retired a couple years ago, and I reconnected with some friends that I've been friends with since the first grade. So we're getting to know each other better and kind of just reminiscing a lot. Well, we took a trip this summer to Jamaica, and we call ourselves the Fabulous Five. (laughs) (laughs) And all of you know how I love to shop. I just do. She does. So we had, um, we all had a certain amount of spending money that we took to Jamaica with us. And they were just buying all kinds of purses and jewelry and all kinds of really nice stuff. And every time I pulled my little bit of change out to buy something, I was like, nah, do, I, do I really want that? Nah, nah, nah. And I absolutely positively could not buy anything for myself. And I couldn't figure it out. And they couldn't figure it out either. <laughs> Cedric, you're not buying anything. I couldn't buy anything. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I started to speak to some of the locals about the things that were happening in the city and the um, um, impoverished areas and the underprivileged areas and the underserved areas. And I recalled on the way to the resort that there were people in the streets that were washing windows and selling these really stale donuts and you know and I was explaining to the group that I was with that you know most of the money in these resorts stay in the resorts and it doesn't go in the city and they weren't really aware of that and so as God began to minister to me he said to me 
what I want you to do with your money is to talk to some people, figure out where the need is in the city, and I want you to spend your money on that need. I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna do this. So first thing I asked for was a Walmart, but they didn't have one. <laughs> but they did, find, they did find me a store, and I went to the store, and I said to my friends, I don't want you all to feel pressured at all, but this is how God is leading me. Because I tried to buy something at least seven times, and I just could not buy anything for myself. So um, it was around uh, the time for the kids to go back to school, so I started talking to some of the clerks in the store, and I uh, found out that there was a really, really uh, school that was in desperate need of school supplies. And our dollars there in Jamaica are almost twice as much as they're worth. So went to the store um, and bought like two cartloads of backpacks and books and all kinds of papers and crayons and markers. And then found a way to get to this school to take it to the school. But while I was in the store, my girlfriends were looking at me and they're like, you know, Cedric, that's such a good idea. And so they started pulling out of their pockets and giving me money towards it as well. And we managed to do like doubly what I had set out to do with the monies that I had. And we had the opportunity through our driver, we had a personal driver to go up to the school. The kids were so blessed. I mean, people, they were almost like taking pictures of us like paparazzi, like <laughs> people don't do that when they come. You know, they spend their monies elsewhere. And as soon as I did that, I felt this release to buy myself this little bracelet right here. That's, 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 that's all I bought, this little bracelet right here. But I did feel that release to do that. But, but I went up to the, um, to the school, and we just so blessed the school with all the school supplies. But the thing that I like most is all of the fabulous five, I mean, we're thinking now about ways to connect with community and they're listening to me when I'm talking about um, outreaching and containing a, or maintaining a partnership with these people and I've seen them um, through Christmas. What are we gonna do, Cedra? What are we gonna do, you know? <laughs> and so it is multiplying and yep. they, they say from time to time that was the pinnacle, the highlight of the trip was when we did that. So Amen. that's multiplication. Amen. <laughs> I think all of those illustrated the message. At this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to ask the intercessors to come forward. And we will pray for you about anything and everything. We never want people to leave here without prayer. And uh, so I'm going to ask if you'll stand, and then we'll, uh, we'll do a little praying and a little singing and a little worshiping, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's, let's pray.
in this room has two loaves, five loaves and two fish. Every person here has something they can offer to God to multiply. Again, be in prayer that God will use you where you are to use you to infiltrate work, home, neighborhood, schools with your two fish and five loaves and see what he does through his multiplication ministry. Lord Jesus, bless us as we leave this place. Thank you, Lord, for the testimonies we have heard. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are, and then you use us in ways that are unimaginable. Bless us as we leave this place, and let us, with our five loaves and two fish, bless others as we lay our our small gifts in your hands. Amen and amen. Go in peace. I'm no longer-